Hello and welcome to a Waypoint Church podcast by Jim Privet. We hope you enjoy listening to it. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to yourselves, to your husbands, as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the saviour. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does for the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honour your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favour when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly, as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no favouritism with him. I'm just going to, there we, hello, hello, hello. Everyone good? Surviving? Good, I'm going to take these off, one second. First of all, I just want to say, because it was Jim's first time that he led worship this morning, I think he did a great, good, great job, so you can just give him a round of applause for that. Thank you to everyone that's part of the service and doing different things. It's really important, and we couldn't do it without you, so massive thank you to you all. Uh, I have brought a chair with me this morning. Uh, this chair is naked, because last week Mark spoke, and he had a fully clothed chair. 
Is that right? For those of us that were here last week? Yeah? Good, thank you. Uh, this is a naked chair. I'll come back to this in a minute. Don't think about this chair for the whole talk, all right? You know when you tell someone don't think of a pink elephant and they think of a pink elephant? Don't think about this chair for the whole talk. I'll come back to it. So, um, my name's Jim. I am the uh, associate pastor here at the church, one of the leaders, and it's a real privilege to be able to unpack this really easy passage with you this morning. Uh, I'm sure none of you have been triggered by it whatsoever. Uh, So, fantastic. It's going to be really good. We're on to week seven of our series in Ephesians. God is doing a new thing. If you haven't caught up with some of the podcasts, then please check them out on iTunes, Spotify, our website as well. Uh, we'd love you just to engage in that way. So, I'm aware that I'm speaking to a very mixed congregation this morning with people that have children, people that don't have children, can't have children, uh, perhaps people that aren't married by choice or haven't, have not married yet or want to. That's kind of your dream as well. So I'm really, really aware that I'm, I'm trying to be sensitive to everyone as well, but trying to draw out the truth of what Paul is speaking about. Because Paul was unmarried, he did not have children, and he didn't own any slaves. So it's pretty weird that he's writing on such a subject like this. Um, But the key thing, the umbrella point for today that I'd like you to go away with, so you can switch off after this, is from verse 21, and the Bible splits it sometimes, but it is basically this, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So mutual submission is a key to healthy relationships. And when I talk about submission, I'm talking about obedience, I'm talking about respect, I'm talking about encouragement, responsibility as well. So that kind of is interchangeable. As I use that phrase, mutual submission, think about those different kind of angles of submission. Now, I don't know what your understanding is of submission. For me, I'm transported back to football-less lunchtimes at Harrison County Primary School. Whoever went to Harrison County Primary School? Anyone in Ferrum? No one! Shocking. What a school I'm representing. Um, so they're basically, it's an amazing school in Ferrum, and uh, we used to play football at lunch times, and if we couldn't bring a football in because we weren't allowed to, or we lost all the airflow balls in the guttering, we have to do something else. And so we would play wrestling, because everyone plays wrestling, right? No? Not now, maybe, but when you were younger, hopefully. So, um, so what we'd do is we'd get your mates to stand in the corners like they were the ring, and then you'd put your bags out along the floor, and then basically you'd get given your name. I was always Ray Mysterio, because I was a little one, right? Anyone knows wrestling, that's funny, fine. Uh, and then you would wrestle, uh, and you'd, get your, you'd like shove your mate's face in the dirt, and you're like, yeah, you'd win. you get bragging rights for the whole of the day type thing. The point of wrestling is to what? To get someone to submit. Fantastic, right? And then you have a winner and a loser. You have someone who's superior and someone who's like inferior. You get to brag about that, that they're rubbish all day long. And I think often when we think and we look at the word submission or obedience or honor, respect, we kind of immediately go into really negative connotations about submission, right? So we read our own interpretations into this passage. So for example, some of you in here might be thinking, well, that's very sexist, that passage. I don't like that. Or it's very outdated. Or the husbands that are in the room are thinking, see, I told you that I wear the trousers. And the wives are thinking, yeah, but I bought them and I chose what they look like, so I'm the winner. Uh, it can be really hard for us to understand that submission is actually a real position of strength. Actually showing respect and honouring your partner, honouring your friendship, honouring those people at work is a really important part of being a follower of Christ. Um, because this is a continuation of what Paul has been doing in the previous chapter, right? Chapter 4 
if you can remember, is about unity and spiritual maturity. It's about living and choosing to live for Christ. And actually, when Paul first wrote this in the original Greek, it's just 74 words in one sentence, and it actually hooks over from verse 18 through to verse 23. So he was thinking, this is just a continuation of unity. This is a continuation of mature, like mature, uh, being a mature follower of Christ, basically. Are you with me? Good. So this is just a continuation of what Paul is doing. He's building this new thing in the church. He's building a new thing in you as individuals. And now he's trying to build a new thing in, into us uh, in our relationships. So healthy relationships. Let's unpack that. Because this is not just a sermon about marriage, in case I've lost anyone already. It's not just a sermon about having kids, because uh, I've lost anyone, or actually owning any slaves, which I'm sure most of us hopefully don't own. Most commentaries will talk about this kind of slave master thing as being about um, your workspaces. So think about that as your workspace, if you will. But God wants to do a new thing in those places. Um, I want to give you some historical background because I like history, so deal with it. So Jewish and Gentile, the kind of society at that time is that it was kind of based on the stability of the household, right? So society would run well if the household was run really well. And often in a household back then, the man was the head of the house, right? No cheers, okay. Uh, the, the husband was the head of the wife as well, okay? Good. So, so the Greek philosopher Aristotle, yes, I'm quoting Aristotle, wrote the rule of the house is a monarchy, for every house is under one head, okay? So this concept of male headship, men being like the head of their, their wives, uh, and children obeying your parents, slaves obeying their masters, is a known order of things 2,000 years ago. They would have been very aware in the Ephesian church of what Paul was trying to get at, okay? So the headship, submit, obey, those are all language that they were used to in that environment. But he is radically trying to transform and change their understanding of it. So if it had just read, wives submit to husbands, husbands love your wives, children obey your parents, slaves obey your masters, it would have been no different to what they would have known at the time. But he adds a plot twist. Who likes a plot twist? Yeah, ooh. That was good. He has a plot twist. And that plot twist is Jesus, right? Great. Thinking, what? I don't know where this is going. So basically, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. Wives, submit, your hus- hus- sorry, submit yourselves to your husbands as you do to the Lord. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Slaves, obey your masters just as you would obey Christ. Every relationship Paul tackles, he embeds Christ into it. He is subtly transforming relationships by the power of the gospel. And that's exciting, isn't it? Yeah, because we can do the same thing today. Are we excited? Good. So (laughs) mutual submission is about knowing and inviting Christ into every relationship that we have, right? I am going to be talking specifically about those three models of relationship, but these, these, I think, and I hope these things can be applied to other relationships that we're in as well. Because often in our relationships, we have a me first kind of focus, don't we? Like, you know, you're trying to get your mate to kind of agree with you or your boss to sort of let you do those things or the other way around. It can get a little bit kind of sticky sticky sometimes. So what do healthy relationships in Christ look like? Let's start where Paul starts with marriage. Let's unpack this. I'm spending a bit more time on this, um, not to make anyone else feel uncomfortable, but because I think there's some really big key themes that I'd like to unpack and just explain, and then we'll move on to the other two relationships. Plus, I've got a guest speaker today, and my wife's going to come and do a little bit of a chat for us as well, which is fantastic. So, my first point uh, is mutual submission is joining God's kingdom and not building your own. Mutual submission is joining God's kingdom and not building your own. So often... 
we can build our own kingdoms when it comes to our marriage. We can build our own little thrones and we sit on it and we expect the other person to be like, come and bow at my feet, submit to me, like, because I'm the husband. Or if you're a lady, woman, wife, whatever, then you, sorry, not whatever, that was really, sorry. <laughs> Just, that's what we're going to remember now. Uh, not what? Uh, if you're a wife, then you can think the same thing. We talk about it as being like kingdoms and queendoms. Abby sits on her throne and she's just like, yeah, well, just obey me and just submit to me because I've got this thing that you should be doing as well and you never do the washing and stuff. So um, that kind of thing. But actually, if we remember that this passage is in the context of unity, that means you're never going to get anywhere. You will never see depth in your relationship, in your marriage at all if you go into it with that kind of thinking, right? You will really struggle to mutually submit. Uh, I experienced this, uh, we experienced this in our marriage because I'm a sort of a four plus four person, that equals eight, and Abby's like a, yeah, but so does three plus five, and so does six plus two, and so does one plus seven. I'm like, yeah, but four plus four equals eight, and so I'm right, and you're probably wrong. She's like, but we can get there together. I'm like, no, we can't. It's my way, and then she lovingly slaps me, which is great. Um, (laughs) But we end up with prickly conversations, things that we don't want to sort of go into, things that we don't want to engage with because we're so adamant that we're right, it's got to be our way. And so we kind of, we steer around it, or we just don't bring it up anymore because we got used to that's going to be the thing that starts a fire. We don't want that anymore. But actually, those are the things that Christ wants to come into and transform, genuinely wants to transform through honour, through patience, through respect, through actually humility, which is a key thing for me. Um, but I kind of try to do this thing in the last couple of years where when Abby's speaking, I don't switch off, which is great. But also, I ask the Holy Spirit, what is the heart behind what she is saying? Because I could just come up with an answer straight away to whatever she's saying, or I could just humble myself and ask the Spirit, how do I join into your kingdom right now? What are you doing in our marriage where usually the emotions just come out, or the, or the anger comes out, or the frustration comes out? Actually, what are you doing? Because that honors Abby and also honors God as well. And we both take the lead on that, right? We both, sometimes it'll be Abby with that with me. So um, I want to focus quickly on husbands being heads of the wife. Um, headship. Um, I think we can get really hung up on this. I really do. I think we can uh, misunderstand this. I think we can hide behind it as husbands. I think therefore wives become really suspicious of what that means, the headship, and it becomes a really negative thing. Again, there isn't, in my opinion, one way that a marriage works at all. I've spoken to lots of different people in the church over the last few weeks. Uh, Andy and Fee, who head up Time for Marriage, they are awesome. Check them out if you're thinking, we could do some work in our marriage. They're great. Um, And other couples as well. And just getting gleaning stuff from how marriages work. And every marriage works differently. It does work differently. And that's good. That's really good. And I think that reflects the nature of who God is as well. The New Testament does talk about men being in the head of the house or being in the head of their wife. So we can't get away from that. Not that we should. So we need to understand it. So we need to understand that actually what Paul is doing, he's transforming our understanding of headship as well. He's understanding what it means to be the head over your wife. So it's no longer about ruling over your wife. It's about having responsibility for your wife, your children, for your slaves, and loving them. Not based of dominion over your wife, but giving up your life for your wife, which is huge, right? That's revolutionary. That's why Paul spends eight verses on this passage speaking to the men directly in the church because we, don't, we need telling sometimes, right? We need more telling and more telling. I need two verses for women because he's transforming something that at the time was not usually the practice. The practice at the time was men, you're just head of the house, right? Now it's like, actually, no men. Let me unpack what this looks like to be head of the house, head of the wife as well. It's about looking to Jesus and seeing his kind of headship and expressing that, reflecting that. 
So extreme sacrifice for your wife, extreme actions for your wife in terms of how you think, how you love, how you devote your time to her as well. That's really important. Paul is saying reflect Christ. It's not about position anymore because Jesus submitted to the will of his father in the Garden of Gethsemane, didn't he? Yeah? He said, not my will, but your will be done. So husbands... We have to have that kind of, well, do you know what? Not my will, but your but not all the time. And there needs to be conversation in that as well and respect and honor. But actually, that's extreme submission, is it not? And that's what I love about Paul. He's redefining it and transforming it. And I struggle at this a lot. <laughs> okay, I'm not saying I'll get it, so I know the answer. Then everything's fine. I struggle with this a lot. And sometimes I'm like, but I'm the husband, Abby. Please just do what I tell you. And that's an inner, inner dialogue that I've learned to sort of swallow. Um, but also that, that comes out of my actions sometimes. And sometimes we're, not, we're both not great at it, are we? So I'm going to invite Abby up to speak just really quickly. Round of applause for Abby. <laughs> right? I'm going to sit here. This wasn't the purpose of the chair, by the no, way. That's really, um, really off-putting, so thank uh. you. Uh, hello, everybody. There's hundreds of you. Okay. Uh, so um, I'm Abby. I'm Jim's wife. Uh, and um, he, I love the fact he's invited me up saying... This is something Abby's really rubbish at, so thanks, Faith. Uh, but as he as he said, this is something that I struggle with, and um, the whole idea of submission within a marriage, and the whole idea of submitting to my husband. Um, and so when he came home a few months ago, and he said to me, "Oh, Abs, I'm uh, I'm preaching on Ephesians five. You know the the bit where um, they talk about husbands uh, love your wives, and wives submit to your husbands in a few weeks' time." And I was like, "Hmm, oh, that's interesting. That's that's a really challenging passage. That that should be interesting to see how you tackle that." And he was like. Yeah, I was thinking maybe you could do a bit with me. And, uh, <laughs> and I laughed uh, and said, mm, yeah, no, probably not, because um, he knows how hard I find this. So, but then eventually I thought about it. I chatted to Jim, we talked to Andy and Fee, we talked to a few other people, and I was like, maybe because this is something I find hard, actually I have got something to share. So, um, yeah, here I am. Uh, <laughs> so I like to think that I'm very strong, a very independent woman. I know my own mind. I know what I want to do, what I don't want to do. Um, I like to think that I am quite uh, strong physically as well. I spend a lot of time at the gym, probably too much time. That's, that's one of our conversations we have a lot. 22,000 minutes last year, apparently. Um, <laughs> lifting heavy things up and putting them down again. Uh, you know, it's a great thing to do with your time. Uh, and I like to think that in a lot of ways, I, Jim and I are equal and that I'm equal to a lot of men. And um, so I'd say probably I am a feminist. I believe not only in uh, inequality uh, in marriage, equality in the workplace, equality of pay, um, and that women should be treated the same as men. That's actually a biblical principle as well, as Jim uh, spoke about before, that's, you know, under God, there is no male, there is no female. We're the same. Um, and there's this podcast I listen to called The Guilty Feminist. I'm not going to recommend it to you because there's far too many swears in it for me to listen to as a Christian, really. Um, but they start it off with these statements, which are, I'm a feminist, but... And then you say something you feel really guilty about that you shouldn't believe if you're a feminist. So uh, mine is, I'm a feminist, but I believe that wives should submit to their husbands. Um, and that's not a very... Um, common uh, or not a very popular opinion in this day and age um, but actually when we've spoken about it it's the idea of mutual submission so it's not just a wife submitting to a husband it's a husband submitting to his wife as well um, and this idea I think why I don't think it contradicts my beliefs as a feminist is because this idea of mutual submission is not about Jim controlling me or Jim telling me what to do or how I should act or what I should think or what I should believe or any of that um, or me as he said bowing down in front of him being like 
like, you're the head of the household, I'll do whatever you want. Um, instead, it kind of comes from a mutual decision between both partners. So it takes me to step down off my feminist soapbox and out of my little queendom, and for Jim to step out of his kingdom, and for us to come together in God's kingdom. Uh, and in that place where we're in God's kingdom together... We should be acting out of love and respect for one another. Um, not only because we're husband and wife, but also actually, and sometimes this is what it comes down to, because we're both believers of Christ, we're both Christians, we're both in God's family together. Um, so when I stop to think that my husband loves me and he respects me and he wants to honour God in our marriage, he wants to honour God in the way that we are together as a couple, in what we do with our finances, in our household, with our children, uh, it becomes much easier to submit in some things. Uh, <laughs> not in everything. Uh, in the big things, I think this is something that we find quite easy. So when it comes to making big decisions about our finances, about what we should, like when we came to buy a house together, um, when we buy new cars, Priv is always new cars. Um, <laughs> when it comes to how we raise our children, um, jobs and things like that, actually they're things that we do together. So we sit down together and we'll pray about it and we will seek God's will. And so it becomes easier for me to submit because I can say, actually, yeah, Jim has, has sought God's will on this. So if I'm following what Jim wants me to do, actually, it's God's will more than anything else. Um, and that's the thing that has helped me with all of this, because I'm not just submitting to Jim's will and being saying, I'll do whatever Jim says. Jim's will is God's will. It's easy if your husband is a Christian, because you know that he's going to be following God's will. So that makes it so much easier for me. Um, but I still struggle on the small things. Um, anyone who comes to live in our house for more than about 24 hours will know that I am quite stubborn. Um, I know my own mind. Jim is also quite stubborn. Um, and our children will probably attest to this. Actually, we do argue about a lot of things. Uh, argue, agree amicably, obviously. Um, one of those things is our finances. That's one thing that we really struggle with, and I think a lot of couples will probably say the same thing, that there's some arguments that you come back to over and over again. Um, last year, we set a budget. We decided we needed to save. We wanted to, There's things we want to save towards. There's things we want to do with our money, so we set a budget. Uh, but I'm a woman. Uh, one of the few female stereotypes I conform to is a love of clothes shopping, um, specifically for leggings, gym leggings. I go to the gym a lot. Uh, gym always reminds me, I've only got one pair of legs, but you can never have too many pairs of leggings, as far as I see it anyway. Um, <laughs> so I bought, over the last year, a few pairs of gym leggings, and they will come through the post. Uh, and then Jim will sit down and very patiently explain to me that we've set a budget for this year and maybe these leggings don't come in that budget. Uh, so perhaps I might like to send them back. And uh, so obviously I agree and I say, yes, darling, of course I'll send them back. I completely agree with you. And it's all very amicable and it's all very lovely. Um, <laughs> Uh, in all seriousness, though, the, these small things, these small little elements of submission where we do have these conversations, they have been quite heated at times, but I um, remember, try to remember, that actually I loved him. I do love him. I don't need to remember that. I do love him. <laughs> I don't need to remember that I love him, but I remind myself that I love him and that he loves me and that he respects me and that he wants what is best for our lives and for our marriage. He wants what's best for me. He wants what's best for our future, for our children's future. And um, so uh, he's acting within the will of God. So if I keep this in mind, when he asks me to submit, even on these small things, uh, it becomes easier. I don't have to see it as a negative thing. I don't have to see it as Jim trying to control me or tell me what I should and shouldn't wear or what I should and shouldn't do. But if I view what he's asking of me as in line with God's plan, um, it becomes so much easier and I can more easily say yes. 
Um, and it becomes a voluntary thing. So I'm stepping out of my queendom. I should step this way towards you. And Jim will step out of his kingdom. And um, I step away from my view of I'm right, that I know what's best, that I'm a strong, independent woman and I can do whatever I want. Uh, and I remember that Jim is doing the same thing and that he's making sacrifices for me. Um, not just giving up Sky Sports, which he's done this year as part of our budget, so thank you. Uh, but um, uh, that he sacrificed a lot for me and continues to sacrifice for me and so I can more easily submit to him, which creates a bit more harmony in our marriage and leads to that mutual submission, uh, which is about joining God's kingdom rather than our own and doing what we want um, and makes our lives a lot easier most of the time. Thank you. Thank you. That's good. Thank you, Abby. Um, yes, I'm really aware as well that we're speaking to people perhaps who are not married um, for lots of different reasons. So if you're thinking, well, how does that work? Please come and chat afterwards because I've done a bit of chatting and thinking around this as well. So don't have time to go into it right now, but I'm not ignoring you. So let's chat about that afterwards. We're going to move on to the next relationship. But So parents and children, don't switch off if you don't have children. Okay. Um, my, main, my, pa- my point from this sorry, is mutual submission is understanding someone's value and position. So mutual submission kind of moves or evolves into obedience and respect at this point. Hands up, who's ever been a child in this room? Good. I mean, there's only half the amount of people put their hands up. I'm pretty confident we all have been. So, so children should be seen and not... That's so rude, guys. Come on. The youth are just over here. So that's common. I think we're quite, we think like this so often. And we just think, oh, it would be easier if our children weren't sort of so loud or frustrating sometimes. One of the hardest things that I think me and Abby have ever done is decide to have children... Um, and uh, they are great. I love Amelie and AB. They're fantastic, and they add so much to us, but also it can be a bit of an emotional roller coaster at times, and I'm told this roller coaster doesn't ever stop by my mum, <laughs> who's great. So, um, but what I love about this passage is that Paul is speaking directly to the children that are in the church. You notice that? He's speaking, saying to children, which means they were what? They were children in the church, okay? And what's happening is that Paul is speaking to the children, and at the same time, who else is listening? Parents, right? Parents and adults in the church. I love that because the culture at that time in Greek and Roman society was that really children, if you didn't want them after birth, you could just leave them. They would, they would die, right? You would just leave them to die. Or they didn't, have much, they didn't have much position or identity or value in that kind of society at all. So Paul is going, right, actually, they are significant. Let's talk about the children in your church. Paul is echoing what Jesus said in the gospel, which is, let the little children come to me, Right? Everyone who is a follower of Jesus has equal access to him. That's brilliant, isn't it? It's great. And we need to remember that because we're adding value and identity to the young people in our church as well. They are not mini adults in waiting, right? They are full members of the body of Christ. And I think that's incredible because we can begin to understand that our relationships shift. Mutual submission can happen when we have that kind of bigger thinking, right? Because Paul is moving the church from this kind of biological thing where children are kind of, you know, they are biologically part of a family to actually this Christological thing. Actually, we are related because of Christ, which is huge, is it not? So therefore, therefore, responsibility is huge for us as parents and for us as the wider adults in the church because Christologically, we're all therefore interlinked as one family, Okay, these children, these young people that are around, they're all our, weirdly, sons and daughters in some way. 
which is both scary but also incredible because that means we have to have responsibility for them as we learn their value and identity in Christ because children are a gift from the Lord, right? Do we not believe that? Even if you don't have children, you might be thinking, yeah, those ones aren't, right? But they are, right? And we need to understand their value goes way beyond the fact that they're just our children. We are, we're up here and they're down here. It's not the case at all. Young people, children, speaking to young people and anyone else that's around the room right now, you have a responsibility to obey your parents. You cannot shake that, right? It's what it is. Okay, it comes with a promise, the Star Trek promise, which is what? Live long and prosper, right? I'm sure there's probably a better Bible version of that. But basically, it will go well with you, all right? It will, you'll live long and you will prosper. It will go well with you if you honor and respect your parents because the more you do that, there is this mutual submission. I genuinely believe that with all my heart. Yes, that means you'll need to receive discipline sometimes. And yes, you will interpret that as being your parents being a pain in the backside, okay? That's partly a parent's job. Uh, but actually, if they're doing that out of love, because they want to see you grow in faith and in stature and encouragement as well, then they're doing that for the right reasons. They're not trying to provoke you, as it says in Ephesians 6, 4. I'm really good. I've got a spiritual gift of provoking my children. Uh, partly out of fun, really, sometimes. Uh, but I need to get out of that. Um, but this, this, this line, fathers, do not exasperate your children. There's lots of different Greek understanding of that. But one of them is to really get to them, right? To really get to your kids. And I'm great at this. Really, really good at this. Um, I don't know if you can sort of think about some examples with your own parents in your head. You're thinking, that's when my mum or dad really annoy me about something. Okay? Um, for me, with my dad, it was if I didn't get, like, if I got like a C or a B in an exam, it would always be like, why don't you get an A? Why don't you work harder and get an A? Or if I got an A, like, why don't you get an A plus or something? And if like at football, I like football and uh, I play football, or used to anyway, and, uh, and my dad used to say to me, do you know, yeah, it was all right, but do you know, like when you come off the pitch, like he'd be like, you know, your, your, your feet like move out like flippers to one side, right? When you're running, I'd be like, ah! So I think we can forget the importance of actually honoring children and young people with our words, and therefore, the opposite of that is true as well. We can sometimes forget that it's important to honor them and we don't say anything to them at all. When you see young people at church, speak to them, right? Honor them for that. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Colossians 3, 21, right? If as parents and adults in the church that we're all in this Christological family together, we can start to see the value and identity of young people. I think the whole submission thing where they become obedient to us becomes a lot easier for them. And I love this kind of in practice because we do devotions most nights um, and um, with our kids and so uh, what we try and do is anywhere between two minutes and 20 minutes depending on on kind of how tired they are usually uh, and how tired we can be uh, we will spend time with our kids praying with them they will pray for, for us they will pray for other people as well and it's so good to see the value of what who they are in Christ in that moment it reminds us that these aren't just our children. They are in Christ. They have much access, as we do, to praying and to spending time in the Word of God. And actually, we need to spend time as parents spiritually investing into the soil of our young people, right? Even if you do not have children, I think that's something that I hopefully can challenge you a little bit in. We need to spend time investing into the spiritual soil of our young people and children, because they need that. They really do need that, to start off children on the way that they should go. Um, Yeah. Uh, good. I've written down pub here. I don't know why I've written pub. I think it's because sometimes we're thinking my children are really old and actually or older, and I don't know what that looks like. And I just encourage you that if you've got older children, um, something that 
I did with my mum for the first time last year was I prayed for her as an adult. You might be thinking that's weird, you're a minister. But it was the most incredible moment, really, in our relationship. Actually, build those opportunities into your life where you can spend time together um, with your parents and pray for them, uh, and also with your children and pray for them, because it will bring this idea of mutual submission together. Um, We're going to move on to the very last relationship in mutual submission And I'm just going to give you the highlights of this. It is, mutual submission is remembering you're working for the Lord. Um, So, slaves, to be spoken to as slaves again in the church was a really incredible thing for Paul to acknowledge them. Because in society back then, they were seen as scum, basically. They They were seen as property. They were not seen as anyone who had any identity whatsoever. So for Paul to speak to slaves was incredible. Again, a bit like the children thing. He's elevating them and giving them position. And so what's happening is in a household, normally the slave would adopt the, the master's religion. Whatever the master's religion was, the slave would adopt that religion. Okay? So loads of slaves are becoming Christians, and it's creating this animosity and this friction in a house. Uh, and basically Paul is saying, do you know what? Slaves, become better slaves. Be more obedient to your masters. Okay? Love them, respect them, encourage them, and, uh, and, and, and serve them well. Now, our immediate... Responses like, well, I don't understand how this applies to, to me right now, but think about it in a work situation. We can be in workplaces where perhaps there is friction, there is animosity, there is annoyance sometimes between staff people or people that you oversee or wherever that could be. Uh, and actually, Paul is saying, actually serve them better. Remember that your master is Jesus, and you need to reflect Christ in those relationships as well, because that's how you'll see those relationships transform. That's when you'll see good things, new things come out of those relationships. Um, Billy, who's in our small group, who's not I don't think he's here today. He said he was really struggling with this a few years ago, really struggling to have that motivation for work and the interaction that was going on there. He felt like people just didn't get him and he didn't live like the rest of them lived there and all this sort of stuff as well. And he was reminded of Colossians 3.23, which basically mirrors Ephesians 6.7. It says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. It enabled Billy to see above his employers and see God, basically. He fixed his eyes on God, and he was able to obey and be obedient to uh, his employers. And it's the same the other way around as well. You know, we all have one master, which is Jesus, and that's him that transforms our relationships, even our friendships. Perhaps if we're thinking, you know, actually my friendship right now is not good with someone, it's him that will transform it. As we reflect Christ in those places, we can submit to one another. We can show honor. We can show um, uh, respect and obedience. We can show responsibility for those relationships as well. I started with a chair. I'm going to finish with a chair. Who's been wondering what this chair is all about? Anyone? Yeah. Yes. So this chair is about our positions, right? We always come with our position on certain things. So it could actually be where you're at right now in a relationship with your wife or your husband or your friends or perhaps with your parents or perhaps with your children or at work or whatever it might be. And we're in this position, okay? And we're like, this is just, this is what I've always believed. This is how it is. I'm just kind of putting up with it. And that's what it's about. But actually, my prayer for us this morning is that Christ will get you up out of your chair and you'll move position into something new that is closer to what Christ intended, right? And you can sit down in a new position and actually allow him to do something new in your life that we've been looking at for this whole of this series through the power of the gospel as you apply Jesus Christ, his transformational power into your relationships, be it marriage, 
children, whatever it might be, wherever you are at this morning. That's my prayer for you, uh, that the Holy Spirit will begin to just stir something in you this morning, and we'll see God's kingdom come in our relationships, because that's what we want, don't we? We want more of God's kingdom. Amen? Amen. Right, I'm going to pray. Father God, thank you that you love us, you invite us into family, and within that there's so many complexities and understandings of what that looks like from marriage to children, parents, to workplaces, to friendships. But Lord, overall, you want us to to grow in unity. And actually, we need to reflect that in the way that we submit and respect and honor each other, children to parents, parents to children, whatever it might be. Father, we want to be reflecting Christ to one another, to be spiritually mature, to bring your kingdom into these relationships, because that's where something new will happen. Lord, be with us as we unpack what that means, whether it's our language, the way we've acted towards someone or something for a long time. Help us by the power of your Holy Spirit just to put your finger on that thing. Jesus, I pray. We want to become more like you. We want to bring your kingdom here into our relationships to reflect Christ to other people as we go. In your powerful name we pray. Amen.